What is it that you want me to say to you, huh? Do you want me to say, poor you, Miranda's picking on you, poor you, poor Andy, hmm? Wake up, Six. She's just doing her job. Don't you know that you are working at the place that published some of the greatest artists of the century? Halston, Lagerfeld, De La Renta. And what they did, what they created was greater than art, because you live your life in it. Well, not you, obviously, but some people. You think this is just a magazine, hmm? This is not just a magazine. This is a shining beacon of hope for a, oh, I don't know, let's say a young boy growing up in Rhode Island with six brothers, pretending to go to soccer practice when he was really going to sewing class and reading Runway under the covers at night with a flashlight. You have no idea how many legends have walked these halls. What's worse, you don't care. Because this place, where so many people would die to work, you only deign to work. And you want to know why she doesn't kiss you on the forehead and give you a gold star in your homework at the end of the day. Okay, <laughs> I, so I'm screwing it up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you uh, mouthing along and making physical gestures oh, to go with everyone. Oh, of course. Words. I have all of it. I just, yeah, I love it so much. <laughs> Nigel? Nigel, 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 Nigel. Nigel. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's nothing in this know, closet that will fit a size six. I don't know six. what you think I can do for you. Nothing in this closet will fit a size six. <laughs> Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Geneva, and I'm Tatum. We're two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. So, Tatum, what have you been watching this week? Man, I was trying to think of which... Which uh, quote could I start with from uh, from Meryl Streep? But I can't think of one <laughs> off the top of my head. So I, I've i been able to watch a few things, um, but I'm going to kind of go a few weeks back here just to kind of reflect on a few things I've watched just mm, in the please. last few weeks. But one of the movies that I finally got to watch, uh, I think a few weeks ago, is called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It is, Ooh. yeah, mm-hmm. it's an A24 film from last year, 2022. Um, I I quite enjoyed it. It It's definitely, um, it's not a perfect film, but that being said, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, the ending is great. I don't want to use any other word other than great to avoid spoilers, but the whole movie kind of follows this premise of there's a bunch of these teenagers that go out to this basically cabin or house for the weekend to kind of celebrate. And I don't remember exactly what it is they're celebrating, but they just go out to celebrate. And pretty soon after they get there, they find out that someone has died. And so once they find out that someone has died, they go through this whole process of trying to figure out who killed them because they're like, this person was murdered. They didn't just die. They were murdered. And so the rest of the movie is them just trying to determine who murdered the person who died, who was killed in the beginning. Um, And we do find out who the killer is by the end. Um, And it's, it's a great, it's a great ending. So 
I would recommend it if anyone just wants to kind of have a, a good time. It's a fun watch. Um, it's, it's definitely a little bit ominous. It makes you feel a little bit, you know, on edge and uneasy, but it's not something that's overly scary. Um, and it's got some fun, some fun insights into the young people today. Of <laughs> the, the youths. Yeah, the youths. <laughs> um, and yeah, I enjoyed it. I still do not understand the Pete Davidson craze. I, I never was have. literally about to ask. Yeah, I never have. I don't think that I ever will. Uh, I think he's a, com- a completely average actor whose personal life annoys me. So, <laughs> um, he does fine, but also I just don't understand why he's in like everything right now. Um, I have but- heard really good things both about that movie in general, but specifically about the performance of, uh, I think her name is Rachel Sennett. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes. She was in a movie called Shiva Baby, which actually, have you seen that? I think you might like it. I haven't even heard of it. Okay. Yeah. A small independent film that I, she starred in and I believe wrote. Um, oh. Yes. Um, highly recommend. It takes, uh, she's a, a Jewish girl who's having an affair with a married man and um, she shows up at a, um, a Shiva where her family and all her neighbors and relatives and everyone she's known since childhood is there. And also the man she's been having an affair with. And also her ex-girlfriend is there and she just spends the entire time trying to avoid them but keeps getting con- caught in conversations that are really awkward and oh that sounds um, good it's really good yeah i would recommend i think you'd really like it that sounds right up my alley i will have to check that out um <clears throat> and then i guess the last thing that i've been watching other than like i said last week succession man <laughs> this week's episode which i think was what episode seven <sighs> yeah you're getting close to the end of the season right they're setting up some big, big oh, dominoes. Right. I'm like, this is going to, I have no idea. <clears throat> I have no idea how this is going to end, but I can tell that they are just racking it up and it's going to freaking like, things are going to explode. I just, I, I'm so excited for what's coming. So succession is kicking major butt right now. Episode seven was another just so great. Um, but aside from that, uh, another, uh, another show that's kind of releasing episodes right now is I'm watching the final season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I know you are as well, Geneva. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what are you thinking of it so far? It's, it's interesting. I think, I think I've just had to accept that this show is no longer what it started out as. It's something very mm-hmm. different now. And so the show that I initially fell in love with, which was season one, which I still absolutely love. And then season two kind of, um, it's just not that show anymore. And so that being said, and me just accepting that as a reality, this season's interesting. Um, you know, I'm not really dying to come back to it every week. Uh, but that being said, they're making some interesting decisions with some of the characters, um, and the most recent episode I thought was an interesting framing device of kind of revealing basically decades of mm. Midge and Susie's lives. Uh, I don't know if I'm necessarily happy with the framing device that they chose, but I think it's interesting. Um, yeah. I did not like the use of the framing device in the first few episodes, but actually mm-hmm. I really, really liked the most recent episode mm-hmm. um, for anyone listening in the future. If you 
Um, don't know what the rest of the season is going to hold, but the most recent episode at this time is um, the, I don't the know roast of Susie at the Friars Club. Um, which so it's primarily decades in the future, but with flashbacks to the the current timeline of the show. Um, and I I thought that was very well done and brought together a lot of the um the flash the, the flash forwards in a really interesting way. Yeah. So I I just think. Yeah, I don't I'm trying to be careful because I don't want to like spoil anything specific regarding like actual legitimate plot points. But yeah, I, I, I would say it's worth watching. Um, I think that I am at least interested enough to see where this goes and how they're going to tie all of it together. Um, I will say they had a weird one off thing with Midge's mom and her like matchmaking business and oh like gosh. her getting involved in the prison system. I, I'm still mm-hmm. upset that they had this whole storyline set up of her going to school and getting educated. And then they completely threw it out of the window after season two. And now she's just a matchmaker. I think it's weird. I think yeah. it's really dumb. It's an odd choice. This um, show, I really enjoyed the first couple seasons but this show has really come to annoy me Midge <laughs> annoys the heck out of me most yeah. of the time yeah um the the storylines annoy me so many of the ser- secondary <laughs> characters that i used to love now annoy me yeah. there are things that don't annoy me there are things that i genuinely really love and keep watching like i love the character of Susie, even when she makes mistakes i find her storyline really compelling um enjoy seeing the ups and downs in her career i really love um I don't love Joel, but I love Joel's parents. I find them hilarious. Oh my gosh. Moish is, I, I think Moish is my favorite character in the <laughs> He's show. The best. I love Moish. Yeah. He's, He's great. great. Um, but yeah, so a lot of the things in the earlier episodes of the show were really leaning into the things that I was annoyed most about it and I wasn't sure whether to continue. But like I said, I actually really, really liked the most recent episode. So I'm very intrigued to see where it's going to go from here. Right now, it's just basically second screen tv for me <laughs> it's yeah. tv yep. that i have me on too. in the background while i scroll through my phone and occasionally look up to see what's happening <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would say the so. same for me except for me it's more so like i i just finished work i'm really exhausted i want to watch something that i don't have to pay much attention to <laughs> so i'm laying there and i'm like half asleep and mm-hmm. i'm like you know this is a good half asleep show to, to be watching right now um yeah. But yeah, so anyway, I'm enjoying it. If anyone's a fan of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I think that it is worth watching season four. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah. if you've made it to season four, you already know what you're in for. So yeah, um, yeah. but that's, that's I guess, what I've been watching. Succession, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and I watched Body, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies a few weeks back. So yeah. 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 Well, um, on the opposite end of, spec- <laughs> spe- of the spectrum of TV that is easy watching and um what you would want to maybe do if you wanted to calm down your brain i watched the first two episodes of a limited series called dope sick that came out um, oh a year yeah or two ago. Mm-hmm. have you seen it i think that just came out last year yeah last year or the year before i uh what it what even this time but yeah very pretty recently i um, haven't watched it but i really want to okay i highly recommend it i will say it is being it is very hard for me to get through more than one episode at a time so i'm only two or three episodes in they're pretty long episodes they're minimum an hour some of them go a little bit over they're very densely packed but the show is basically exploring the creation of the drug oxycotton and um the way that big businesses big pharma 
pushed it on the world without really understanding what the effect of it would be, how addictive it actually was, were actively deceptive in its marketing in the the hopes of making a very quick profit, and then the effect that that had on huge swaths of the American population, which, you know, eventually fanned out to include um, just American, America as a whole and large portions of the world, I think, at this point. But um, but it's through, it follows multiple storylines, it jumps between different timelines, so um, we, we're following the effects of it on different characters and different sort of sectors of society. So in on the one hand, you have um, the actual creator of Oxycontin, Richard Sackler, who is a, a wealthy um, kind of wealthy uh, inheritor of a, a pharmaceutical company, um, kind of a doctor in his own right. He really wants to make his name um, with this. You also have um, on the ground level, you have Michael Keaton giving a really excellent performance as a small town doctor in a, uh, an Appalachian small town, small mining town, um, who has all of these patients who've suffered mining accidents or are in pain. And he wants, he sees this drug being pres- um, coming out on the market and there's all this you know, it's being touted as this miracle drug. Oh, it's non-addictive and it's extremely effective. And so he starts prescribing it to his patients thinking, oh, I want to do what I can for them, you know, so that they can live better lives and um, have not gotten too far so far, but I'm assuming we'll slowly start to discover the error of the, those decisions. Uh, you've got Caitlin Deaver as one of his patients who's um, a, um, a female minor, um, a gay female minor who wants to, um, has his back injury that she wants to overcome so that she can go out and live her life and um, is, I'm assuming, (laughs) based on what has happened so far, going to get hooked on the drug and we're going to see the effects of that on her. Um, And you have various governmental officials who are working to try and uncover the layers of deception and malpractice that are being practiced at different points um, in time. So, yeah, it's a really, really well-written, very well-acted show, and um, it's very dense. There's a lot of information. It's very haunting in certain ways. And so it's, yeah, it's it's pretty heavy, but it's also really, really interesting. So I would recommend, definitely, at least based on those those first few episodes I've seen so far. Um, and then the only, the other major thing that I watched this week is, um, a movie called A Letter to Three Wives from 1949, which, uh, as you may remember, we did our All About Eve episode <laughs> a few weeks ago. And I mentioned that Joe Mankiewicz had All About Eve was, he won the best, the Oscar for best director and best screenplay, I want to say. And it was, the second year in a row that he'd won both of those awards. That's the first time someone has ever won best act, best director and best screenplay in two years in a row. Letter to a three, Letter to Three Wives is the movie that he won that award for first the year before, all about Eve. So I thought, oh, I'd better watch this. And you know what? It's a great movie. <laughs> it is really fascinating to watch, having being so familiar with all about Eve because you can see a lot of all about Eve in it. You know, he is as you know from All About Eve, he's very, very good at writing women who are interesting and complex and very different um, and have kind of complex adult relationships with the men in their lives and with each other. Um, And 
it is, yeah, it's just a very well-written and well-acted movie. I really enjoyed it. The premise of it basically is um, it's these three suburban women who they all come from different backgrounds. They're kind of different economic classes. They're loosely linked by being living in the same small um, suburban New York town, and they're all married. Um, and at the beginning of the movie, they're going off on a um, like a just a day long kind of camping trip. They'll be out of the house all day, um, watching these these kids as they kind of um, go out to their little summer camp all day, and they'll be back in the evening. But right before they leave, they receive this message from this woman that all three of them mutually know, who tells them, I've just run away with one of your husbands, but I'm not going to tell you which one. And so they spend all day then trying to supervise kids on this trip, but also thinking back, and there are all these flashbacks to the relationships that they have to each other and also to their husbands and why it is that they think their marriages are in a state that their husband might have run away with this woman. And so, yeah, it's a really, <laughs> really interesting premise for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the way that the marriages are written are all really complex and interesting. Um, I particularly loved Kirk Douglas and, uh, and Southern as this sort of marriage of, um, that's kind of bucks, you know, typical 1940s, 50s, um, social conventions where she's the moneymaker who writes for radio and she's kind of on her way up and he's this school teacher who doesn't make a lot, but really loves to teach and loves to, um, the chance to educate children. And they, they have all these conflicts that come out of that, the fact that she makes more money than him and things like that. But it comes from a sort of a different angle than you would expect. And I just really love their interactions. But yeah, anyway, sorry, I shouldn't ramble. Um, very good movie. Would recommend. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, and I just wanted to say, I wanted to give one more plug for Sorry for for the Bear season two because today mm. they just announced the actual yes. release date, June twenty second. So June twenty second, the Bear excited. season two will be released. Tune in; it's good. It's gonna be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so why don't we turn to the actual movie that we are here to discuss? Yeah. So today on the show we are discussing The Devil Wears Prada, a two thousand six dramedy directed by David Frankel. Written by Aileen Brosh McKenna, based on the novel by Lauren Weisberger. Uh, the novel was loosely based on Weisberger's experience as the assistant to Anna Wintour, real-life editor-in-chief of Vogue magazine. The story of the film follows Andy Sachs, played by Anne Hathaway, a smart but unpolished college graduate who's unexpectedly hired as the second assistant for a powerful, glamorous fashion editor named Miranda Priestley, played by the incomparable Meryl Streep. Though Andy is an initially an outsider in the world of high fashion, she works hard and soon learns that there is much more to the industry than meets the eye. At the same time, however, her new fashion sense and lack of free time begin to alienate her old friends and her boyfriend, Nate. Andy's hard work impresses Miranda, who eventually orders her to replace the first assistant on the magazine's trip to Paris Fashion Week. However, seeing firsthand the deceptions and betrayals that are necessary for Miranda to stay on top in the fashion world eventually push Andy to consider whether this life is actually the one that she wants. All right. So Tatum, I know that you absolutely adore this movie, as do I. I am very excited to hear about more about your relationship to this movie and what it is that has drawn you to it so closely. 
So I want to start by asking you a question, actually, because watching Mm. this movie for, I don't know, the 78th time probably (laughs) for this podcast, I, I picked up on a, not that I picked up on something new, but there were certain things where I was like, I don't know if I like this. And one of them was just thinking about where I'm at in my life, where you're at in your life, all of these things, you know, I have big dreams. I want to be a director. You know, it's sometimes I do things that are crazy and people are like, why are you doing that? I'm like, cause it's going to get me where I want to go. Please be supportive of me as a loved one. If if I missed your birthday party because <laughs> I had a really important oh life event that would help me move forward in this huge dream that I've had for a really long time, would you be upset that I missed, that I missed your birthday party? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a good friend or, or partner would understand, but I don't Man, know. Are we going to dive straight into how awful just, Nate is in this I'm movie because I could go you. I'm just I asking can you. and will go on for a long time would you be okay would you be understanding if I missed your birthday party for something like that I, I feel like you'd be fine so. with it <laughs> I I won't say I will would, would be fine with it I would, would not understand. direct my whining and my <laughs> annoyance at you I would direct it at the at the forces boss. that caused you to right miss my birthday because I know that you are my friend and would not do that intentionally. And I would be happy that you are, hopefully, (laughs) that you are getting to a point in your career that your boss trusts you for an important assignment. Because I was was watching Uh, that moment when, sorry, I'm not even sharing my relationship with this movie, but like, I was watching that (laughs) moment when she's literally running out of this event that she was basically forced to go to last Mm -hmm. minute, that it was supposed to just be, um, it was, I was about to say Emily, her name's not Emily in this movie. What's her character's name? No, 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 no. Um, uh, Emily is the assistant played by- Emily Blunt and then okay Andy I was like the... wait that's Emily Blunt her name's yeah, not no. also Emily but it, okay <laughs> Emily gotcha. also Emily yes right so it was like it was supposed to just be Emily but then Andy has to go blah 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 mm-hmm. and then I was watching that moment where she's leaving and that really famous guy is like hey do you want like I can connect you to this journalist who oh blah, my blah, gosh blah. I got so and, physically and angry I'm thinking, rewatching the like, scene I feel like if I was leaving some sort of event or something and someone from some show or production I was working on was like hey Martin Scorsese's here. Do you want me to take you in so you can meet him? I feel Mm -hmm. like if I told you, first of all, I'm sorry, Geneva, I love you. I would go talk to Martin Scorsese. I I feel like you would be fine with that. I would be so (laughs) angry with you if you did not go talk to Martin Scorsese. Like, I mean, maybe, you know, shoot me a quick text, like heads up. Uh, Right. I'm going to be a little later than I thought, but. I know I wouldn't say that. I would say Geneva. I'm meeting with fucking Martin Scorsese. (laughs) I hope you understand. And you would say, Tatum, why are you asking me this? Please go. (laughs) But anyway, Uh, all that being said, I I feel like so this does kind of tie into my relationship with the movie mm. because I feel like watching this movie as many times as I have, I've always heard people kind of raise complaints of this movie's really good, but gosh, her boyfriend and her and her friends suck. Mm-hmm. And I've never really, I've always been like, yeah, I mean, they're not the best, but it's not that big of a deal. And then this time I, around, I was like, no, I hate all of them. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so that's kind of my evolving relationship with it. But yeah, all that you know, being we said, learn, we grow. yeah, all that being said, I love this movie. Uh, I, 
I can't even remember the first time I saw it. It must have been pretty early after it first came out because um, I definitely saw it when I was around like 13 and I think that was around the time it came out. But um, ever since I saw it, I've always loved it. And so this movie does have a nostalgia, like a nostalgic love to it for me. But in addition to that, this movie has grown on me over time because the older I've gotten, the more involved I've gotten in the film industry and in the photo shoot world and working with, uh, you know, high profile people on things that are so important. Art, blah. Like, yes, art is important. I love art, but also. So I, I very personally relate to a lot of what Andy is going through and even while watching this movie, preparing for this podcast, I was thinking there's so many things that I want to say relating to her character and what she's going through. But I was like, I also feel like I can't even say, I can't even talk about that because what if my boss or past bosses for whatever reason, like listen to this and they hear what I, <laughs> because like I've literally had exact... I've had mm-hmm. several experiences that are basically exactly what Andy's gone through and worked for people that are very similar to Miranda Priestly. So <laughs> I can't disclose a lot of specific information that I would like to for the sake of my own uh, career. <laughs> but um, I love this movie because I I just, it, it sheds a light on a reality of my life and a reality on a lot of people's lives. Um, but it does it in a way where it's just, it's very well done. I like the characters are just so other than, you know, the boyfriend and, and friendships or whatever, the characters are so well-written. I mean, Mm -hmm. Stanley Tucci's character is great. Meryl Streep's character is great. Emily Blunt's Mm -hmm. character is great. Andy is, I think the most blah out of those four, but she still is great. Um, Mm -hmm. everyone else, I'm kind of like, uh, okay. Except for Jacqueline Follet. I think she's really fascinating. And <laughs> Jacqueline like, Follet, I hope she's living her best life. I know, as, right? Uh, as James Holt's uh, CEO. You. Right. Her and um, her nice, funky uh, hair, hairdo with the... Um, yes, the I planned my whole year around this. <laughs> <laughs> and we're so grateful that you do. <laughs> um, oh, but so but yeah, just to end... Um, I love this movie. I also love how many fantastic one-liners there are. I mean, Miranda Priestly is a savage. She, oh my goodness, she is like she just eviscerates every single person (laughs) that walks into her presence, but doesn't care. And I think she's she's a terrible person, uh, but also there's layers to her, and she's just she's a phenomenal phenomenal antagonist if you can even call her an antagonist but Mm -hmm. yeah I love this movie uh it's one of my favorite movies of all stinking time I think it's I can't say it's perfect but I I just I love it it's very personal to me and uh I'm excited to talk about it so yeah 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 no I my I'm my story is very similar to yours I saw it shortly after it came out um loved it have seen it many many times over the years it's such a rewatchable movie it's such a quotable movie it's such a fascinating sort of object in that you know it it really is so much better than you would expect it to be (laughs) it's so much more layered there's so much more going on the acting the writing it's just such a higher quality than you would expect of a movie of this genre of this sort of 
just from glancing at the kind of aesthetic aspect of it, you know, where it was positioned, um, the types of movies that it's that you would associate with it. It's just such a cut above, you know, and and it's it is a flawed movie, which in some ways makes it even more interesting to dig into. I um, was really struck rewatching this movie. I mean, it's funny you, you say that you had never really understood the thing about <laughs> Nate and the friends being terrible, at least fully until this rewatch. I mean, I've always disliked them. And this particular movie, I found myself getting so angry <laughs> about the way, <laughs> at Nate specifically and the friends to a certain extent, although I actually I want to dig into the friends because I don't hate all of them. But um, I actually... <laughs> feel really bad about this i rated this movie slightly lower than i have in the past I this time that. around yes i ordinarily have this movie at a 4.5 which is the same as you this time around because of how terrible nate is i do yeah. think it's an active drag on the movie yeah. and i think what the movie is exploring gets a little bit confused at certain mm. points in a way that i think is a bit to its detriment mm -hmm. but you know sometimes an object doesn't need to be perfect sometimes it's even more interesting and can have more to say and even have more staying power because it is imperfect you know because there are flaws that you can pick at and you could say this low is so low but this high is so high you know how do these things coexist with each other it yeah what does it what does it say about where you and i are at in our lives where you and i mm -hmm. are both discovering new depths to how much we hate <laughs> nate what is oh like what has happened in our I lives know. or like what what age, you know, uh, what, what's the word I'm mm -hmm. looking for? Like, uh, oh, crap, I can't think of it, but like, what's the what, fourth, sort of phase of development that we're yeah, in? Yeah. What, what, what new phase of life have we stepped into yeah, where you know, all of a sudden we're like, Nate is the worst? Well, we're two independent career women who are, um, trying to do our best to get ahead and seeing a man <laughs> that stupid face. Apologies to Adrian Grenier. He's very attractive. I'm sure he's very nice, but it, oh, he's such a drag on this Who's movie. Who's also not that good of a chef because the grilled cheese that he makes her is burnt. <laughs> Let me just say, that bread is is black. It is burnt. Like, that is not a good grilled cheese. I will sandwich. say, I did kind of want to have a bite of that grilled cheese, but really? it, it uh, is burnt. Really? It burnt to me. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget what I was talking about. Just, yeah. I love this movie. I love it flaws and all um yeah totally. it has yeah it, it's so interesting in the things that it chooses to chooses to dig into i was doing some you know my usual little bit little bit of quick reading and research on the production of this movie ahead of time and it was really fascinating reading um i read a couple of interviews by aileen brosh mckenna who is the writer of this movie um she was the kind of the last and credited screenwriter of this movie. This this movie went through multiple drafts um, before it eventually went into production. There are plenty of people who had kind of uncredited contributions on it. But the way that this movie changed form was really fascinating to me. Um, I've never read the original novel, but by all accounts, it is more in the sort of chiclet territory. It's much more of a satire. It's more about kind of demonizing Miranda and um, 
elevating Andy. Andy kind of gets her comeuppance on Miranda at the end. But when Dave Frankel, David Frankel, the director, and then Eileen Brosh McKenna, and I believe a few others, Meryl Streep included, as they kind of contributed more and more to the shape of this movie, it really started to change and it started to become more complex. And they started started to add these layers of, well, actually, wait, why exactly are we demonizing this woman who is so successful in her chosen profession? And obviously there are really bad points to her like you know she is not a good boss she's not a good person there are there are really bad things about her but also she is needing to succeed in an industry that's extremely cutthroat um in a a level of power that women are not often able to attain um she is trying to pursue really true excellence and true greatness in a craft that is um it's a business and you know that requires a certain set of skills that it's also an art and so that requires a certain set of another set of skills you know these are really difficult things for one person to embody and and there is something admirable in the way that she's able to do that and so they were able to just kind of bring a little bit more reality more honesty more nuance to something that you could easily see having gone another way and being much more cartoonish, much more flat, much more just kind of go for the going for the easy emotional punch at the end. And instead they say, no, let's let's add a little bit to this. Let's ex- really explore the relationship between the, the two lead characters and um, find something interesting to say about it. And I think that's why it's endured, even if they don't necessarily do it perfectly. Yeah, that that actually brings me to a point that I wanted to say anyway, which was so... I've known, I think, ever since I first watched this movie that this movie was based off of a book that's called The Devil Wears Prada. But um, I remember after watching this movie from early on, I was like, I wish that they changed the title because I don't see Miranda as a devil. I I really don't. Mm. And I think that it's... I mean, I don't think that it's odd that they kept the same title. It makes sense because it's based off of that book. But right. I the just feel like, hit, I think. but I feel like the story that the movie becomes as it's translated to screen is not, is, I just feel like that title is not fitting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's catchy. Yeah. I think it rolls off the tongue and it's intriguing and, and it's easy to, at least in my opinion, to just say the devil wears Prada and not really think about what it means because it sounds cool. But if you do, at least for me, in my opinion, if you do really think about it, it's like, I don't, I don't see Miranda as a, as a devil, you know, I, like you said, well, maybe I'm, you know, amplifying what you said, but I do genuinely think that she's a terrible person. I think you can have (laughs) layers and have a human part of you, but also be a terrible person at the same time. Uh, I've worked for those people. Um, and I do genuinely think that she's a terrible person, but I don't think that she is the devil. Um, I also don't know how frequently she's wearing Prada. She seems like she's a little <laughs> bit uh, above Prada, but what do I know? Um, From the research I did, it they said they they consciously made the choice to incorporate some Prada into her wardrobe for that reason. Yeah, and exactly. About forty percent of the shoes that she wears are Prada. <laughs> oh, statistic well. I saw seemed very specific. That's. A, I wonder if they had to make some sort of deal with Prada to do that. I'm um, very curious whether the shoes that she wears when she first steps out of the taxi cab, the first time we see her, it's such an iconic sh- those shot are probably of her Prada. shoes. Those are probably Prada. Those are probably Prada. Gotta be, right? Yeah. No one fact anyway. us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call Prada right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Miranda, I mean, I I love, um, 
uh, with the the character of Miranda. Obviously, we get to see her in so many different settings because we see her. The look that she has is so good. Uh, Meryl Streep, I believe, had a lot of influence in this look. Um, she looks fabulous. She, she looks like, fabulous. Always. Her hair, that that swoop. It oh, mm-hmm. it's so good. The, the hair fact color, that they chose, yeah, oh. the fact that they chose a sort of you know almost pure white. I mean, gray to white um, is this really interesting. It's like she's she's eternal. You know, she's proof against any sort of aging. She kind of wears her maturity as a badge of honor, and so therefore you can't, um, you know, in an industry that's always valuing sort of eternal youth. Um, there's she she has found a way to um, get ahead and, and stay on top for an extremely long uh, long time. Yeah, yeah. No one. No one can do what she does. No one can do what I mm-hmm. do. Yeah, obviously the voice is so iconic. You know the fact that she is so. so I spoken. I've all. said this. I've said this before, and I'm totally open to people debating me on this because I genuinely think it can be debated, and I'm fine mm-hmm. with that. But I think that this is Meryl Streep's best performance ever. Mm. Like I genuinely think that it is. I've seen a fair amount of her movies. I've seen a lot of her Oscar-winning roles. I've you know. I'm sorry. I'm just, none of them can hold a candle to her as Miranda Priestly. I just, she, she becomes this character and she is the owner of, or not the owner, but like the CEO of it, of this magazine. She is this person. And mm-hmm. it just, I mean, she always blows me away, but this movie is just, I feel like it's so antithetical to who she is as an actual person and yet I still believe everything about it. I just, I feel like if anyone else were to deliver the lines that she has to deliver, it like, it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't work. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to, I could spend a long time talking about her performance in this movie, so I'm not going to do that, but this will, this will be like my main comment for her, I guess. Otherwise I'll just go on and on. But I think that this is her best performance. I love her in this. And I think that, Miranda Priestley is a formidable just person, but she also gives her so much depth and she's a very well-rounded character. And, but I mean, I yeah. could say the same thing about Nigel too. I, oh, well, we've got to I spend mean, five minutes on Nigel alone. Stanley Tucci is one of my favorite actors. I think he's incredible. And his character of Nigel, I just, I love him. He's so, he's so <laughs> great and he's so good at what he does and he's so sassy, but also so respectable mm-hmm. and, but so wise and, mm-hmm. but my heart breaks for him at the end. It's, it, mm-hmm. I just, I love the character of Nigel and I love, I love how he relates to Miranda. I feel like he's the only person in this movie where we see her actually respect somebody and I think that is really cool for him. And I also love how he kind of helps Andy in her journey of, you know, of how she evolves. But yeah, yeah I, he's ugh, the Stanley only one Tucci kills on. it. He kills he it. He does. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. This, I think this is the first thing that I ever saw Stanley Tucci in and kind of was just instantly like, this is one of my guys. He's He can do anything. <laughs> he really can. He really can. He's such a character actor. He just, you know, in my opinion, he can just do. Mm -hmm. uh, He's transformed so many times. Such a chameleon. It was really interesting this time around, um, kind of specifically tracking just the comparison and contrast between the way that Emily treats Andy and the way that Nigel does. 
because they both have that sort of, um, you know, fashion industry, very fast, very snarky, um, kind of, you know, you're, you're not going to kind of sit down with someone and have a true heart to heart and slow down and have that emotional moment. But Emily is very much in the, you know, she is constantly frazzled. She's clearly trying to emulate Miranda in certain ways. Um, she is just, she's so dismissive of Andy. She does not believe in Andy, but then at the same time, you know, thinking through, she never, she never goes out of her way to sabotage Andy. She never tells Andy something that's not true. She's always giving her good constructive advice. It's just that she doesn't believe Andy can actually do it. And then when Andy does, she's, she's shocked, but she comes to respect her. And then and Nigel. Think, mm -hmm. I think Emily's also competing with her, whereas Nigel doesn't oh, yeah. need to compete. Like he's like, mm -hmm. I, you are of no threat to me whatsoever. Whereas mm -hmm. with Emily, there is a sense of threat there. So I think that yeah. changes the dynamic a bit. Yeah, definitely. Nigel is more proactive in being encouraging to her, but he does not, he doesn't hold back too. you know, he tells her what's what he doesn't kind of coach it in soft terms. And um, he literally tells her a six is the new 14. Oh my goodness. <laughs> If six is a 14, then I don't know what size I am. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. One thing that I sometimes think, I mean, we can talk about this a little more, is it seems like they did pull back a little bit on the satire of the industry. And there is some in there, um, which I appreciate. And maybe it's it's the right balance for what this movie is trying to achieve. But there are a few times where I'm like, well, I feel like you could go a little bit harder on, you know, how ridiculous this industry can be and how harmful it can be at, at certain points. Um, I appreciate one thing I really appreciate about this movie is the fact that it does contain a sort of coherent defense of the fashion industry and, and fashion as a legitimate art form and a legitimate um, source of business, a legitimate thing for people to base their lives around, you know, and that's again, something that really <laughs> annoyed me about Nate and her friends is how dismissive they are to it when Andy starts to take an interest in it and how much they are not considering, oh, Andy has found something of value in it. Maybe there is something that I'm not considering, especially considering that her friends are all, well, apart from Doug. They're artists. They're all in I art. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the heck? Her friend, her one friend is a photographer. Nate is a chef. Like, and, and in apparent what appears to be like pretty swanky like high high class establishments they're not like starving artists you know scratching out lily's etchings on art the show like come mm -hmm. on that like please you should understand out. how these things are part of the ecosystem and how much they mean to people and how how it impacts people's lives but they just um, her friends just bothered me so much this time around because i just think about i just think about you know maybe this is selfish and I don't want to talk about me too much, but like me being a dreamer and having things that I want to do, I want the people in my life who I consider to be my closest friends to be supportive of mm -hmm. the Absolutely. dreams that I have and the hard work that I have to put in in order to get there. And if I had friends that were just making fun of my job all the time or insulting my job or freaking mm -hmm. like throwing my phone away from me yeah. when my boss is calling mm -hmm. me like the, dismissing that's just... my job the work I do jeopardizing my job by doing that and that's minutes after benefiting from my job by yeah you know 
get, getting a, an extremely expensive purse that you clearly like and appreciate and it's could not pretty. have gone without my job. Like, <laughs> do you not see how completely selfish and and it's just it's just the fact that there's never any pushback on them from Andy. Like maybe if at the end she'd been like, I'm going to walk away from Miranda. This is not the life I want. This is not the person that I want to be. But also. Maybe they make I it seem like Andy's the problem. Like yeah. Andy's the bad friend. Mm-hmm. Andy's the problem. And I'm like, I don't think no. that's actually the case at <laughs> Literally all. Literally the only thing I won't. Yeah, basically the only thing she does wrong is having a really demanding job. A job which she says there's a more or less a year timetable on. Right. You know, she is doing this as a stepping stone to get to a better job. Everyone in their 20s, that's everyone in their 20s is yes. working jobs that they don't want to work in order, in the hopes of getting getting somewhere better. Um, that's many people outside of their 20s. Like, that's just human nature in general. Sometimes you work jobs that you would rather not work and they're time consuming and there's a lot of pressure, but you're doing it in the hopes of a better life. And all of them are doing the exact same thing. They just a chef for crying out loud. They work crazy <laughs> hours. Like, what are you talking about? Anyway, I'm sorry. It it annoys me yeah. so much how yeah. how insensitive and dismissive they are of this thing that I think the movie in other places is, you know, provides some really interesting, more well-rounded perspective on. Also, this is a side note, but um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, they they annoy, they annoyed me so much. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Doug, the the member of the friend group, the uh, rich summer character, who's like. He's the one who's not in the arts. Arts. He's like a business in some sort of business analyst or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, he's clearly into fashion. You know, he's very much coded as gay. So it seemed like they kind of treat him homophobically because every time he mentions like knowing oh. of a designer or yeah. something like that, they're like they treat him like it's some sort of like weird and creepy thing. I'm like, guys. Well, I mean, there's a lot of like there's a lot of gender stereotyping in this anyway. Like mm-hmm. the whole concept of Nate being like. I don't understand why women need so many bags. Just have one, just you put your stuff in, in it, and you're done. And then, like, he's having that whole yeah. I don't understand why someone needs Jarlsberg cheese thing. and their grilled cheese. Nate. Yeah, and then Lily's like, because it's pretty. You know, there's so many things where I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, can can we? You know, so th- <laughs> that actually gets me to to another point that I wanted to bring up. Just kind of like, I don't know. I, I want to kind of go just go to the beginning of the movie, um, but. It makes me think of, I wrote down a list of just certain things about this movie that haven't aged well. And yet this movie still, I I think it still Mm -hmm. stands. And I I, obviously I still love it, but there's certain things where that in particular bothers me. I'm like, I don't, I don't like these gender stereotypes that are happening here. Like, no. Um, Mm -hmm. But also just like, you know, I I wrote down a list because we see, first of all, when Andy (laughs) is preparing to apply for her job, she has a physical portfolio, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) I remember all the thing, all the sort of signs of the times things about trying to get a job in journalism right out of college in 2006 is just fascinating to me my my mom well she she primarily focuses on hair now but she she's hair and makeup artist and she did print for years Mm. and years and years working on photo shoots and advertisements and all that stuff and I remember she had a physical portfolio oh yeah and like Mm -hmm. I would flip through it all the time and help her rearrange the pictures but it's like we're seeing portfolios we're seeing physical planners we're seeing it's very much this is the last gasp of all of these things before a the 2008 recession and 
you know, just all of these industries, print media. Um, there's yeah, there's newspapers. Down. The idea of living in like, New York as a twenty, being able to afford living in New York as a twenty something is just it's a disappearing world. Yeah, and like Andy going through physical photos, whereas now it would just be like scrolling mm-hmm. through your phone or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I just I I I just found it interesting how there's so many things in this movie, especially right from the beginning, where you watch it and it feels dated. But at the same time, the story that it's trying to tell is not dated at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought that that dichotomy was uh, was interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think the issue that I had with this movie, and again, I absolutely adore this movie, and I think its flaws only make it more interesting and, and rewatchable. But to me on rewatching this movie, this is sort of two movies competing against each other, where one is the more easy stereotypical version of this movie that is a lot more flat and less nuanced and the other is this more elevated more interesting more layered movie and um you know i i was thinking that kind of before even doing that research and seeing how much the story changed shape and how many things were brought to it by the different people who collaborated on this movie. And so it makes a lot of sense, but that is one of the things that I guess that I love, but also am frustrated with about this movie is there are all of these vestiges of the earlier form of it. That was not as good. (laughs) You know, there are all these things that drag it down, but then in between of in between them are these new layers that were added that are so good and are so interesting and are so forward looking. Um, they're so feminist. They're so thoughtful about um, the way that women operate in the world and the relationships that they have with one another and with their their coworkers in the workplace. Yeah, and it, it it's frustrating at times seeing you know kind of the the really great movie that this is occasionally get bogged down by less good elements. But again, it just makes it more interesting. Yeah. So just to kind of. I guess talk about this movie in a little bit more of a positive way because again this is one of my favorite movies of mm-hmm. all time and I feel like so far we've done a lot of like this is why <laughs> yeah. the movie isn't perfect the stage <laughs> which yes it's not perfect but also yeah. this movie rocks so mm-hmm. it um, truly does I I know I've definitely talked about this before on the podcast I will continue to talk about it because it's something that I just love when watching movies but I love how movies establish characters from mm. the get-go And this movie is so good at doing that. The fact that we have this montage in the beginning of all of these models having their, you know, really, really fancy, sexy way of getting ready for work. And then Andy's Mm -hmm. kind of just doing her whatever it is that she does. Your normal person routine. Yeah. And then we see, you know, we're introduced to Emily and she's like this firecracker of a person. And then obviously the epic entrance of Miranda oh. and we've All got right, Nigel's gird your loins Nigel's opening of gird joins and him going like his little whistle and pointing through the clipboard who's that you know yeah, that then, I can't even talk about yeah that I can't but then you know obviously we have this huge introduction of Miranda Priestley of we see her feet we see her getting into this elevator and someone leaving the elevator mm. and apologizing even though she's done nothing wrong everyone's and scrambling like, in a panic Yeah. And then we see her face finally. And then she starts talking. And it is this insanely, ridiculously long monologue. I don't understand how hard it is to just 
plan an appointment and get me this and I need coats and blah, blah, blah. Like it's, I should have timed it, but it is a really long nonstop laundry list of orders <laughs> that, that, that no one questions. It's like, she's just going and, and Emily's like, yeah, I'm writing everything down frantically. Okay. You know? And then it's just, I just love the character introductions to this movie. It's you automatically know what this world is. You know mm-hmm. what the stakes are. You know who these individual protagonists are of Nigel, Emily, and Miranda. And that's pretty much the only people that matter in my opinion. But, um, and, mm-hmm. and Emily. And it just, it sets the stage so well. The music, even though the music in this movie can be dated sometimes, I think this soundtrack is phenomenal. How they choose certain songs. For, like, Madonna's Vogue during that fashion oh, montage is perfect. It's perfect. Um, I mean, Suddenly I See to open up the entire movie is just iconic. Yeah. Is what I wanna be. But is this, yeah. well, I thought I had watching this, is this one of the best montage movies of all time? Ooh. I mean, there are so many un- iconic montages. Obviously, the beginning, as you said, the, um, the introduction of uh, Miranda is in some ways a montage because you're cutting between her and you're cutting between the scene going on in the office but of course there's the iconic um andy's makeover and the montage of all of her amazing outfits Mm. which is just it's it's so incredible it truly is it's just a masterpiece of editing the way the cars sweep by and she's suddenly wearing another incredible glamorous outfit that is nothing like you've ever seen before which i mean Shout out to the the costume designer Patricia Field, who is a legend in the in- industry, and this show, this movie is just it's one of her masterpieces. It's such incredible costuming. You always, you never doubt for one second that you are in the world of high fashion, and and yet it's so timeless. You know, a, a lot yeah, of these it does outfits not feel dated. Some yeah. of them do, but majority of elements them do here not. and there. But yeah, yeah, most of them you could just. Yeah, they just don't exist outside of time. Um, anyway, yeah. yeah, so many good montages. Yeah, that's a movie. really interesting question. I mean, maybe there. Yeah, there's some really, really fantastic montages here for sure. Um, and I also just talking about that opening moment with Miranda. I just have to call out that mm-hmm. <laughs> when when Miranda's kind of going off and complaining about all these things, Emily's like, "Yes, I did try." And then Miranda just cuts her off and is like, "The tales of your incompetence do not interest me." <laughs> And I've definitely been in moments like that with bosses where they're like mad at me for something that I didn't do wrong. And Mm -hmm. I try to to say something and then they're just like, nope, don't want to hear it. I'm like, all right, you're right. I I was wrong. Whatever you say, I was wrong, (laughs) even though I'm not wrong, but I'm, that's fine. (laughs) If you, I'm just wrong. Yep. Um, but yeah, I will say also, um, so I noticed a few, flaws in Andy's character this time around as well because I've always kind of seen her as someone where I just empathize with her completely I've always been like mm-hmm. I don't think she's doing anything wrong I think she's doing yeah. everything right she's thrown I mean, she's, into this difficult environment and she's, she's adapting. very much set up as that sort of blank audience I not completely blank because Anne Hathaway is very good but you know audience surrogate character where she doesn't have a huge amount of personality because she's meant to be the the person against whom all the other big personalities are bouncing off of. Right. But I will say there were a few moments in this movie where I was like, there's no excuse because they, they say how she graduated from Northwestern, which is obviously a great school. And I'm just like, girl, if you graduated from Northwestern and you have a job interview, 
why would you go in having done no research of who your <laughs> boss is, what this industry is, and then also her first day of work the next day, she's late. I'm like, girl, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you should have prepared for that. Like, I understand you've mm-hmm. never worked in this industry before, but you should at least know to show up to work on time and right? know who the person is that's hiring <laughs> you. <laughs> you know, just like, to I be, don't know. Yeah. To be fair I don't know. with the first one, and granted, again, this is sort of, I think, a, a little bit of a time capsule of the time, so maybe I am misunderstanding how this worked at, in this time. But what it seemed to me is that she was interviewing more with the HR director of the entire company, Elias Clark, they call it, which seems to be a big sort of media conglomerate that owns multiple magazines. And they were just saying, oh, we have an opening in a couple of our magazines. So which one do you want to take? So she didn't have any sort of prior, like it it was on the day that she found out where exactly she would be interviewing. She didn't have any sort of prior opportunity to do research. I just feel like going to Northwestern, maybe this is an unfair stereotype, but I feel like if you go to Northwestern, I kind of assume that you're an overachiever. So, because mm-hmm. I think about if I had a job interview that was theoretically going to help me get to a place that I really want to go. So therefore, it's an important opportunity. I don't care if I found out five minutes before. I'm going to do research to find out who I'm <laughs> well, talking to. Well, how are you going to research at the time? It's not like you can pull out your phone and Google it. Go buy a magazine. You, like, you'll at least know what the company is. Go buy the magazine. Take a look at what they sell and look at the first inside cover to see who the... like. Do something. Right, don't enough. just walk fair through enough. the door. <laughs> because it's very clear. She's like, yeah. you don't know me. You don't know the magazine. You don't. I'm like, she doesn't know yeah. anything. You know, she's, it's just. I know. I mean, the fact that she doesn't even know who Miranda Priestley is. Um, like, she's never even heard that name. Before. Well, maybe she's heard that name. But, you know, she truly has no idea. Yeah, she's very, very dear in the headlights. Um, a little bit exaggerated. Also, got to say, on a similar topic. That first outfit that she wears on her first day of work, you know, this oh, it's cerulean awful. sweater. sweater. It's awful. Yeah. I was like, that is the most, gr- I mean, again, props to the costuming department. That is the most hideous outfit I have ever seen the in my life. The skirt with the shoes and the, the argyle tights. skirt, which I w- can also say I would probably wear at some point. <laughs> so. But not with those shoes and those thick tights and that sweater, Ugh. though. Ugh. Yeah. I would probably wear that, but it is hideous. <laughs> you would wear that whole outfit? I would, and I would think I was killing it, and then I would catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror and be like, oh, wait, no, I've made a mistake. <laughs> I would never let you go to a job interview just as something like that. Be like, Geneva, I love you. At least change the shoes <laughs> or something. At least the shoes. I know th- that's one of the things that we the first glimpses we get of Nigel being a good person, being supportive of Andy is him bringing her the shoes, the sling bags. Right. Cause he's like at the very least girl, just change the shoes. Stop embarrassing all of us. At least the shoes. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. Also, um, <laughs> can we just give a quick shout out to Emily's line? I'm sorry. Do you have some prior commitment? A hideous skirt convention. Skirt convention <laughs> and then she starts to. cracking up and it's so good. Uh, she's got so many, so many good lines. Can I we just, just love- appreciate how, I mean, this is a star making performance for Emily Blunt. Oh, absolutely. It, this is her breakout role. It was her breakout role. She is so freaking good. She, she should also have gotten a best supporting actress nomination, in my opinion. I agree. Um, 
She's fantastic. She completely holds her own with Meryl Streep and all of her other co-stars. Every line that she says is iconic. And Emily did nothing wrong. (laughs) I mean, speaking of Emily and character introductions, her introduction Mm. is great, too, because the first thing we hear her say is her walking in and just going, Andrea Sachs <laughs> like like <laughs> what is happening it's like she's so angry <laughs> she's just like so pissed so off exhausted at, every moment at the same life. time she's like oh why <laughs> HR certainly has a sick sense of humor <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and I love the little gesture that she does when um when uh she's calling Emily back into the room how she kind of waves waves her over with two fingers and then just does this sort of like throws her hands up in the air and resignation Uh she's like oh i i I don't even know but she does her little she does her little snap and points that way (laughs) yeah so good my gosh oh yeah and also when she's first teaching uh andy about the book and andy reached out and she just slaps her don't touch it (laughs) (laughs) don't touch it (laughs) oh my gosh i do not trust you not to mess everything up for me Oh, man. Yeah. I also I I just feel like when Andy goes to the house to deliver the book for the first time, girl, use your judgment. It's definitely better to leave the book on the wrong table than to go up the stairs and give it to the twins who are obviously manipulating you. They are so obviously manipulating her like. Emily does it all the time. She does. Right. Yes, she does. (laughs) I know that's the one scene in the movie where I genuinely find it hard to really watch. Yeah, yeah, that that is just silly. I mean, I I like mm-hmm. I like the moment that it leads us to, which yes. is us seeing Miranda genuinely like as a person mm-hmm. going through this Vulnerable. difficult marital spat. Mm-hmm. I like what it leads us to, but how we get there, they could have written it in some other way. You know, yeah. I'm like, come on. Yeah, yeah, but whatever. But then it leads to you know such a great turning point in her relationship with Miranda where Miranda gives her the her biggest challenge yet of getting the unpublished manuscript of the Harry the next Harry Potter book talk about a time capsule one copy what are my girls going to do with that <laughs> also I will say I gosh Meryl Streep is just so good in this but that moment when mm-hmm. she sees Andy on the stairs and she gives her that completely like shocked but livid but Mm -hmm. like completely like she can't even believe that Mm -hmm. look on her face that she holds I'm just like okay I bow down to you Meryl Meryl Streep Mm -hmm. like that is just yeah that just in general amazing Mm -hmm. just in general with this performance like how well she's able to convey the idea that she is specifically singling out Andy, that she's intrigued by Andy, that she's kind of tracking Andy's progress and, you know, is annoyed with her at times because she feels like she can do better or she's kind of impressed by her at other times. The the idea that she notices Andy specifically. And then also at the same time, balancing that with, but also she has a bazillion other things on her mind and Andy's yep. kind of lowest on lowest on her priority list, you know. The way she conveys, like, this is a woman who has so many different claims on her attention, and Andy Andy is one, and we're tracking that specific relationship, but also there are so many other things that she's thinking about at any given moment. And so she she's only giving Andy the barest bit of attention because that's all that she has to give, um, and also all that she cares to give. <laughs> right. It's so well done. 
I said, take a chance. Hire the smart fat girl. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I mean, she's just she's just absolutely brutal. I just oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh. And that that montage when yet another montage. Dang. But the Mm -hmm. one when Miranda just like keeps coming in every day and throwing (gasps) Throwing the coat onto the desk. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite questions, which I can relate to this so much. I have worked for people that say things like this and expect you to have an answer. But Mm -hmm. one of the lines she says is, where's that piece of paper I had in my hand yesterday morning? (laughs) It's like, what paper that you, what? Where's that piece of paper? Give me a reservation at that place that had the good review. (laughs) (laughs) What? Did she say what kind of skirts? No, I tried to ask. No, you do not ask Miranda anything. (laughs) She's moving up the chute. Did she say why? Yes, she explained every detail of her decision making. And then we sat down and braided each other's hair and gabbed about American (laughs) Idol. I see your point. (laughs) I see your point. Oh, my gosh. It's just she's she's just she's so and I love the um I mean just to go off and, and just say a bunch of Miranda lines but mm-hmm. there's another one where it's in that same scene when she gives Andy that whole speech about pile of stuff but before mm-hmm. she does that when she's first going through the like the run through or whatever it is with everybody and she's just like why is no one ready like she's she's very disappointed (laughs) that it's so good it's like they're ready but they're just not giving you what you want and so you bring Mm -hmm. on this totally condescending why is Mm -hmm. no one ready yeah yeah later when andy's digging through her bag trying to find a paper please by all means move at a glacial glacial pace pace. you You know know how that thrills thrills me. me uh i say that very often as a joke i don't ever say that seriously to people but um yeah it's just and then of (laughs) some antibacterial wipes perhaps (laughs) but only when that other assistant has not chose to become an incubus of viral plague plague. (laughs) oh my gosh oh man i I feel like i have to say it even though everyone knows i feel like i don't have to say it because everyone knows this line but i have to say it go florals for spring groundbreaking, groundbreaking. <laughs> we we've been seeing a lot of this this year no <laughs> she's just like yeah. no <laughs> oh my gosh man oh my gosh so, so many good lines also one that i think about way more than i should um which is not a miranda line but going back to emily and her iconic lines um <laughs> when they're at the met the 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 ball not the met gala but whatever that that ball is um She's like, oh, I'm on, the, I'm on this new diet. Well, I don't eat anything. And then when I think I'm about to faint, I eat, I a, eat cube a cube of cheese. Of cheese. <laughs> I just love how it starts with Andy going, you look so thin. She goes, do I? Do I? Thank you. <laughs> oh, my like, gosh. She truly does care about what Andy yes. thinks, despite being so rude to her the entire time. Well, I mean, okay. So if we want to And go- I mean, that's also the scene where their relationship starts to change, because that's right. where Andy helps her out. Um which yeah. like she doesn't realize that's eventually going to lead to Andy surpl- uh, replacing her. But I don't think yeah. Andy realizes that either. But no, no. I mean, it's not not an intentional move. Yeah. So I actually, since you mentioned this and brought it up, I kind of want to go through some of my favorite Emily lines too. Oh, please. Um, <laughs> one of the one of which is when Andy goes, "Are you doing anything fun this weekend?" She just goes, "Yes," and then and, like, <laughs> and just walks that's away. It. She's like, yeah, I am. Period. <laughs> Um, I also, 
I actually use this line a lot in my life. No one ever knows what I'm talking about, but I use it anyway. When Andy's like running around and she's like, wish me luck. And she goes, no, I shan't. <laughs> no, shan't. No, I shan't. Oh, also um, <laughs> when Andy's like frantically trying to get the manuscript and Emily's like, I rarely say this to people who aren't me, me but, but you've, you've got, got to, to calm, calm down. down. <laughs> Which there's another line, which I definitely sent you this snap a few months ago. And it sounded like you and I have different interpretations of this. But when Mm -hmm. Emily's sitting at her desk and she just goes, I love my job. I love my job. I love my job. And it's just for me. Oh, yeah. What was our different interpretations in that? So for me, I identify with that in the sense of like, my job is killing me. And it's really, really stressful but I have to remind myself that I love it. And that's the reason that I'm here of like, I love my job. I love my job. And if I keep repeating it, then I will be reminded that I actually love what I'm doing, even though I'm dying. And it sounded like, and I could be wrong, but it sounded like your Mm -hmm. interpretation of it when I sent you that snap a few months ago, I guess it was now was you being like, I actually hate my job, but I'm trying to convince myself that I love it. So that's why I'm saying it. But, um, yeah, I, I, think my that is the sec my your your ac- assessment of my interpretation is accurate so i think it's like i must convince myself that i love it because i know that it will lead to something that i do love but right in the moment i am completely miserable yeah for me it's like on those days when i hate everything i'm like no i just have to remind myself that i love yeah. my job because well you I know do. sometimes <sighs> sometimes when you have a tough job that is what you want to be doing, but is also extremely tough. That line between love and hate of a job is very, very thin. thin line. Yeah. Also, another, this is, I think this is the last quote that I have written down, other than one that makes me angry, which maybe we can talk about. But mm-hmm. it's this line from Nigel's character where me and the people that I work with, we say this, not, not exactly this phrasing, but we say this concept all the time. And Nigel's actual line is, sometimes I can't believe I talk about this crap all day. Because for us, it's like, I've literally had hour and a half long meetings deciding what watch a character is going to wear. Or like, (laughs) we're having a conversation Uh about, oh, this character, you know... I, I can't even, I'm trying to come up with a ridiculous thing at the, at the moment off the top of my head, but we have really important long conversations about the stupidest things that for the purpose mm-hmm. of the show are really important of like, do we want brown eggs or do we want white eggs? Oh, well, if we use brown eggs, then it's gonna, it's like, we just had a 20 minute conversation about what eggs are, we, you know, and every once in a while we just stop and we look at each other and we're like, what what is our job like what are our lives where this like this is the most important thing we have to deal with today (laughs) talking about what color (laughs) eggs we're going you know Mm -hmm. and um I just love that line where he's just talking about like you know something random on a photo shoot set and he's just like I can't believe I talk about this crap all day (laughs) Uh, um but yeah the quote that I hate that makes me really mad not to freaking go back to Nate again but Mm -hmm. I hate I just I don't like how this movie makes Andy out to be the bad guy and makes all of her Mm -hmm. friends out to be the good people like they're the ones that are in touch with reality and Andy's going off and she's getting lost I'm like no I don't actually believe in that narrative but Mm -hmm. it's at the end when Andy's like trying to be apologetic and she just says you know I, I turn my back on everything for what? And Nate goes like for shoes and yes. shirts and skirts. And but I'm like, fuck you, man. I, like, come on. I also specifically singled out that Ugh. line as one that I hate so much. I absolutely because hate that it. is that is explicitly 
not what she's established no. in the narrative. No. To that's not what draws her into the the you know starting to care about her job and do really well at it. What she really starts to care about is I mean, A, she gets very excited about what the magazine is doing in terms of the writing that they're able to publish. Like that's something that really appeals to her. But also the turning point in her arc of actually starting to get off of her sort of self-pitying self-pitying um stump and really taking start to ownership care about of taking ownership of it is the conversation that she has with Nigel which I quoted at the beginning of it where she hears about how much this magazine meant to Nigel and Nigel being a person whose talent she sees and admires who is also you know has to some degree managed to keep his own sense of integrity and his you know some some element uh, level of kindness in what he's able to do him saying this magazine is important to me because of the solace and you know outlet for expression that it provided for me as a young gay boy in a community where that was not you know tolerated or or at least kind of welcomed like that's a really important turning point hearing from him you know from this character that we like what this magazine meant and so therefore um like that is the you know something that she and then we as the audience where we start to see oh maybe there is a little bit more depth to what this thing is maybe there's more value to it and again like the the movie could maybe go a little bit harder on the the bad points of the fashion industry like maybe it could get a little bit more into how corporatized it can be how um the the beauty standards that it perpetuates that are very exclusive and and damaging but it does provide the sort of defense of um you know an actual value that it adds to the lives of human beings and so like and that is explicitly what it is that andy you know starts to change andy's mind about it and then for nate to just reduce it to oh no you are a girl so you liked all these like pretty clothes it's so infuriating. It's, it's, it's so it's infuriating. It's demeaning and it's disrespectful and mm-hmm. it's not okay. And it's inaccurate to the narrative and the fact that she just goes along with it. Like, ugh, It makes this- her seem like she's the one doing everything wrong and that Nate mm-hmm. is the good guy and he's helping her get back in touch with her real self. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. maybe she's discovered a new side of herself that's actually really empowering throughout this, per- throughout this mm-hmm. process and you're actually trying to hold her back so that you feel less terrible about where you're at in your yeah. life. It's like, maybe she's moved past you, man. Like, you know, <laughs> just yeah. stop trying to pull her down. I just, I find what he says to be really demeaning. And I wouldn't mind it as much if it wasn't framed in the way that it is. If the movie was framing him as an asshole, I'd be like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm here for it. But the yeah. fact that the movie is framing him as him being in the right. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, you're freaking not. Yeah. No, no. the more satisfying ending to the movie would be a sort of middle way which actually i think they do a pretty good job of in the costuming because the Mm. outfit that andy wears at the end it is it's much more stylish and put together than what she wore at the beginning but it's also closer to what you sense is her kind of natural um yeah her natural self you know it's pretty relaxed it's um you know it's it's it kind of shows intelligence. It shows that she's put together, but it's not, you know, it's not very fancy. It's not very pretentious. Um, it, it shows her 
but her in a point where she has grown and she's acquired new things and she's able to kind of take that and meld that into who she is. And they do that really well through the outfit that she picks. But the narrative itself, she's just back where she was at the beginning and it's so infuriating. The narrative should end with her rejecting Nate and yep. going her own way and yep. saying, I'm now, I'm taking what I, the experience I had there and I'm going to go and be a journalist and I'm going to be on my own and it's fine. I've learned, I've grown, I'm moving on. But for her, Instead, and like, it's like, what is she I'm now moving to Boston? Long, like, it's like, well, it sounds she's just like got she a job. might take that. So I'm like, it's almost worse. It's like, oh, I'm going to stay here and do what I want to do, but I'm also going to stay in this long distance relationship with this guy <sighs> who's going to drag me around. Ugh, mm-hmm. I just, whatever. I don't want to yeah. linger on that too much, but I'm glad yeah. that you are on the same page with me with yes, that. That line that specifically line. is it's, terrible. It's so bad. Um, mm-hmm. Can we talk about Christian Thompson a little bit? Because I was literally about just about to say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on him. So. I think he gives a good performance. I just think he's incredibly weird looking. And also his character, I just, I I don't know how I feel about him. Because on the one hand, I, I, I don't know. I, I almost wish he wasn't in this movie at all. But then I also feel like maybe if he wasn't in it, the movie would be entirely different. I, I think I just don't like his character so much that I don't want him to be here. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Does he feel like a character that needs to be there to you? Because to me, it's kind of like, ah, the movie would be fine without him. But then again, maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's one of the cases where the core relationships between the actual main character, so Andy, Miranda, and then kind of uh, spinning off of that, Emily and Nigel, they are so strong and so interesting that anything apart from that and is kind of a it's less interesting inherently less interesting and then also the fact that the core of this movie is this relationship between Andy and Miranda it's this relationship between two women that is not a romantic one it's specifically a work one it's and it's not a friendship either this it's movie this, definitely passes the Bechdel test <laughs> yes absolutely it does and it's it's so interesting this relationship it's you know you don't see it very often on screen it's this sort of antagonism but also mentorship but also um sort of warning but also you know it's like it's all these different things that are so interesting and then to have these sort of love triangle romantic subplots for Andy are just they're just not as interesting you know it's what you're seeing in the main part of the story is so much more unique and then to kind of thrust in this little like subpar romantic side plot it just it really does drag it down yeah I will say watching this movie I have never liked Christian's character I've always found him to be Mm -hmm. so scuzzy and sleazy oh yeah and like you you see right through him you oh, don't yeah. understand why andy does see doesn't see right there i will say on this watch maybe this is just the weird mood that i was in <laughs> he kind of worked for me for the first time wait in terms of what in terms of the character or in terms of i kind of found him attractive oh, and i was gosh. like what is happening to oh me? gosh i mean i don't think it's own, i think it's to each their own <laughs> I don't think it's going to be a lasting thing. I I think it was just I was in a weird mood, but I was like, all right, all right. Uh, you know, um, I'm I'm here but for it, it. You know, it, <laughs> I'm I celebrate I celebrate that for you. <laughs> I may regret putting that on Mike because he is such a sc- scumball. But um, I was actually though re you know re 
on this watch reevaluating the movie and thinking through the actual actions that he takes from his perspective like everything mm-hmm. about him is sleazy like he's he's not a great guy at all clearly he everything he does is just to get into andy's pants which he does um Barf. but i was also thinking like the core thing that turns her against him is the fact that um he's in on this scheme to oust Miranda and put Jacqueline Follet mm-hmm. in her place as the editor of American Vogue. Mm-hmm. I was like, from Christian's perspective, she does not, he does not know Miranda personally, apart from the fact that she has a reputation for not being a very good boss. Mm-hmm. How exactly is this like bad thing? <laughs> what he's doing? Like, obvi- obviously, I understand why Andy takes it personally because she does know Miranda. But um, I was like, I don't know. Business is business. Did yeah. he do anything wrong in this specific instance? I don't know. I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. I I don't think that he did. Um Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have any personal relationship with Miranda, so he doesn't have any mm-hmm. sort of loyalty that would lead him to need to tell her this. So I don't yeah. necessarily see that as a problem. Um so yeah, I, I I would agree with you on that. I think for him, business is just business. I think the issue more so comes with uh, mm. what's his face, the guy who's making the deal, who actually mm. knows Miranda personally. I think he's more. Yeah, of the, right. and Miranda ends up basically having to not blackmail him, but be like, hey, if you kick me out, this is mm-hmm. how much business yeah. you're going to <laughs> do. Lose. A little bit of arm twisting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for me, I honestly think that with that whole situation, as much as I hate to say it, but I think it's supposed to be. I think it's supposed to be perceived in this way because it's ultimately mm-hmm. what what gets Andy to leave. But I think that Miranda's really the terrible person in that situation because yeah. she she knows she knows the consequences of her actions in terms of first of all, she knows what it means to Nigel for him to be mm-hmm. offered the position, and then she knows how much it's going to hurt him when she takes it away without even telling in him in such a public, in manner. such a public yes. way, no and warning whatsoever. I think such a dick move. I think that's the most despicable thing she does in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, yeah. and poor, poor, poor Nigel. But, I um, I will say though, that does always, there is one question that I always have when watching this movie. I, I wonder why she gives Nigel the job in the first place. Like, is that just mm-hmm. kind of a cover story that's temporary or, I don't know, because it sounds like she's known about them wanting to replace her for a while. So why would she tell Nigel he was getting the job if she already knew that they were trying I to... I don't think she knew okay. at the time that gotcha. that was happening. I think she doesn't say how long she's known, but I don't think she's known about Jacqueline for very long. My okay. guess is that she's only known about it for a few weeks. Um and this job that Nigel was getting has been in the works more on the, on the scale of months. Um, oh, I think she's genuine. That's not the I impression that, I got at all. I think that she genuinely, at least, well, I don't know the exact timeline, but I think she genuinely suggested Nigel be, for the job because she thought that he would be great for it. And she respects him and, you know, I think likes him to the extent that she can like anyone. And, like, I think that that was a genuine... Um, recommendation but the thing about her is that she is not going to let any sort of personal relationships take the um prevent her from doing what's best for her own career so i think she genuinely recommended nigel for the job but she also had no compunctions about taking it away from him when she realized that it would be to her benefit to do so yeah i guess for me the issue just comes with the timeline because it seems like she offered him the job the night before like why is nigel knocking on andy's door and being so ecstatic that he was offered a position 
if he was offered the position weeks ago. Like, that doesn't make sense mm, to me. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess I just never... I always assumed it's more, this is now finally being announced, and so he can talk about it, and so he wants to share it with someone, hmm. but it's not necessarily that. Like, this has been in, in the works for longer. It's just that he can now finally talk about it. Okay. That was always my assumption. Yeah, I mean, I could take that as an answer. I guess for me, I was just always confused. I was like, why would she tell him the night before if she already knew? Anyway, um, but I, I feel like the answer that you gave, I don't know if that's necessarily the answer that the movie would have, but I feel happy with the answer that you gave. Um, yeah, actually, I'm I'm had a question for you related to this, because in the conversation, the really great conversation that um, Miranda and Andy have in the limousine after all of this goes down, when Andy's finally like, I really don't know if this is what I want. Everyone um, I, wants to be us. Yeah. When Miranda has that great kind of chilling line where she says, I see a lot of myself in you. <laughs> and Andy's like. I don't know how to take that, <laughs> truly, because I don't want to be you. Miranda says, because um, Andy says, I could never do what you did to Nigel. And Miranda says, you already have. You did that to Emily. What are your thoughts on that? Because for my read, I'm like, I think that's Miranda being manipulative. I don't think that's actually what she did to Andy. But I also think that, again, with my frustrations with the way that the movie regards Andy's choices, I think the movie thinks it is comparable to what she did to Emily and I don't think that's that's fair on Andy so yeah what are your thoughts on that yeah I I would agree with you um I think I don't think that it's necessarily a fair comparison because I do think that this movie which I guess kind of again agrees with what you're saying in terms of the the movie just kind of frames Andy in this light that I don't think I don't know it's it's telling two different stories when it comes to her character and they kind of just mm -hmm. contradict each other but I feel like the, the movie really tries to just repeatedly, oh gosh, what was it? Hold on, hold on. It'll come back. It's right there. Um, hold on. Oh, yeah. The, the movie repeats this phrase over and over again of her saying, I don't have a choice and people emphasizing on her, but no, you do have a choice. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't think that that's true. Um, no. And I think that that's a repeated theme throughout the movie of, again, trying to frame Andy as making all these poor decisions and it's impacting the people around her because she's making poor decisions and she's sacrificing mm -hmm. this for this unjust cause. And I'm like, sometimes you are legitimately in positions where like it's you don't really have a choice. It's like, yes, you mm -hmm. have a choice in the sense of like, do I want to keep my job or do I want to get fired? But that's that is your option. It's either do yeah, what you're being much forced to do or get fired, which in my opinion mm -hmm. is not actually a choice. And so for me, I don't I don't think that this statement that Miranda makes at the end, I don't think the situations are comparable. I think that maybe the farthest I'd be willing to stretch that would be maybe Andy recognizing that like this is a stepping stone onto how far I could go with this. Mm -hmm. Like I feel bad about what yeah. I did. And if I were to stay in this place longer, I could get to a place where I'm doing what Miranda did. That's mm -hmm. kind of the farthest I'm willing to stretch that in terms of yeah. how they're comparable. But at the same time, I do think that they're different situations. And I do actually believe that Andy was forced into that situation. I mm -hmm. don't think that it was a choice she was able to have. And I also think that we see that empathy from Emily too. I think that even when they're in the hospital, even though Emily is angry, justifiably so, you know, yeah. she's, she's completely justified in her anger. 
I think she's worked for Miranda. She, I can tell in what Mm -hmm. she says and how she's behaving that she actually knows that she didn't have a choice. And at the end, when Andy offers her the clothes, you can, you know, Emily's genuinely grateful. And she says, you have big shoes to fill. And so I think that honestly, the only person that I care about how, how they feel about what she did to Emily is Emily. And I think Emily Mm -hmm. recognizes the situation that Andy was in. And as long as Emily's fine with it, I don't care. And I think Emily is fine with it. Um, so, and ultimately like having been through situations like this with terrible bosses, like that are very similar to this type of dynamic trauma bonding between employees is a thing. Oh, and uh, you know that I know. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that Andy and Emily been in that situation. Yeah. Like Andy and Emily, their relationship has been very tumultuous, but at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. they're the only ones who understand what each other has been through. And so I think in a way, Emily is the only person that actually has the ability to make a judgment call on what Andy did. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, I think it is kind of sad that we end on that note with Miranda making that statement of, I mean, I think it's a very profound statement mm-hmm. and it says more about what Miranda believes than what Andy believes. Um, but it's just another like final jab of trying to tell the audience like, oh, Andy made bad decisions. And I'm just like, no, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not on that train, guys. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess one, one we we probably shouldn't go too far down the road of like, what they should have done. But one small change that I think would have really helped would be to have to frame that how Andy ends up going to Paris differently. And maybe had it be instead, Miranda says, I'm going to write you a really good recommendation if you go to Paris with me instead of Emily, instead of saying you are going to Paris with me instead of Emily, you know, or had offered to make her some connection or had given her some sort of tangible thing that is not it's all or nothing. It's your job or not your job, you know? Right. Like, I think there should have been some active choice that Andy right. made to get ahead, which would have made that um, comparison have a lot more resonance. Yeah. Which, again, it yeah. bothers, be, bothers me why no one else in her life understands. <laughs> no one in her <laughs> life understands that either. Like, outside of the workplace, everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah. these are your choices. You're choosing work over whatever. And I'm like, well... <laughs> Not really. I mean, yes, yeah. but also no. <laughs> I wonder if too, I mean, some of the reviews that I was reading, you know, they pick up on the same, you know, things that we're talking about here. So it's not like this was not discussed at the time. But I do kind of wonder if, again, us being on the other side of the 2008 financial crisis, and then just after years of a really crappy economy, <laughs> coming from, at it from the all perspective hope in of, humanity. Yeah. <laughs> Coming at it from that perspective of like jobs are so few and far between. It is so expensive to live in New York. It is so hard once you lose a job to find a new one. Like, again, if she lost this job, she she really doesn't have a choice because yeah, there's no other, you know, there are very few other footholds that she could possibly find. I mean, Emily to- literally tells her in the beginning about some lady who sliced her finger open and missed a phone call and now works at TV Guide. <laughs> like, <laughs> these I'm are like, the I'll stakes we're guide, talking but, about yeah. <laughs> here. Um, yeah, but like, I mean, for like in in different parts of the um, the years to come, it's like less, are you going to work at Runway or are, are you going to work at TV Guide? And it's more, are you going to work at Runway or are you going to work at all? So I just to kind of, oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So just before I forgot it, because we were talking about the 
Emily. We already talked about Emily, but then we had gone back to the scene of her at the hospital. Just a mm-hmm. moment of uh, appreciation for Emily Blunt just angrily weeping and chowing down on that roll and being like, you shouldn't go to Paris. You eat carbs, carbs for Christ's for Christ sake. sake. <laughs> I feel oh, like on so the inside, good. Emily's actually grateful. She's like, "Look, I can eat pudding now. <laughs> yeah. My blood sugar well, can finally the first be thing at a that she does. Level. I know the very first thing that she does when she finds she's not going to Paris is start scarfing down everything. In Absolutely, sight. it's it's so good. It's so relatable. Yeah. So just to kind of, I guess, go to to the end of to the end of the movie. I'm not sure if you have like more things that you want to say, but I find that it's I, I just. I love the final line of this movie, mm-hmm. which is kind of Miranda and Andy have their moment where they see each other across the street and Andy waves and Miranda definitely cares, but plays it off that she doesn't. And, mm-hmm. you know, she sits down in the car and she's got this little moment where she kind of smiles and yeah. almost even giggles. And yeah. then immediately the look's gone and she looks at the <laughs> driver and just goes, go, <laughs> go. Oh, that she should have won the Oscar for that line. The delivery of that line alone. It's her best performance. I I mean, (laughs) she's won several Oscars for roles that are not as good as this one. So I'm like, come on. Um, You're not wrong. But yeah. Yeah. And it's such a nice human moment again, where we get to see that she um, again, like she has, she thinks about Andy, you know, Andy is someone who sort of penetrates the um the millions of things that are on her mind her busyness her coldness her remove and she actually has a moment to appreciate like this person is different than i am and she has chosen a path that is better for her and she seems genuinely happy that andy yes. has you know has gone her own way and has, has is now doing something that is um more suited to her and it is this really nice moment of closure for her even though again you know that moment quickly closes off and she goes back to the um go you know, cold-hearted cruel person that she, she <laughs> yeah i man I, I i mean i have lots of other things i could say but they're just kind of like one-off one-off comments but yeah i mean feel free to spit out spit them out i mean i'll just go through my last i feel like there's so much about this movie that we've not talked about yet even though we've been talking for a long time i know it's just just a sign of how good this movie is is, this is similar to me with pulp fiction where it's like i could spend the whole podcast just quoting like saying my favorite quotes (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah just to go through a few other things i guess that i wrote down here one of which is even though nate sucks i think he's the worst I am jealous of the fact that Andy has someone that she can come home to to rant about work and they'll just mm-hmm. listen because I like, listen and then he'll cook her a grilled. I mean, hopefully most of the time the grilled cheeses are less burned, but I would love a live in guy to that I can rant to and who will <laughs> instantly cook me a grilled cheese at yeah. any time of the night. Sounds like, great. I'm definitely jealous of that aspect of Andy's life. Um, another thing I wrote down, Miranda using a razor phone, LOL. Uh, it was the coolest <laughs> phone at the time. So it makes sense that she would have one, but also dang, that's fun. Also, I almost kind of feel like she would know. I was going to say, wouldn't she have a, a Blackberry, but I feel like Emily would have a Blackberry and Miranda would have a razor. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. I, um, I can't say that I am up on cool phones of the period that's like that's my prop buyer mind of like which phone is more suitable for which i feel like miranda would have a blackberry and emily would have a razor i don't know anyway um 
Yeah, and then I just wrote like another dated thing. I don't know if these are still used. They might be in certain places, but when Nigel is using that light table and has the film on the light table and he's using that big magnifying thing. Oh, like, yeah. I used those when I was younger. I don't think those are used anymore because you can just zoom in on a computer screen. Yeah, because now it's all digital, right? This is for actual exactly. film. film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, a question that I had was, so the, all of these clothes that Andy starts wearing, I know in the beginning it's like Nigel helps her with one outfit, right? But throughout the rest of the season, I was thinking, or season, throughout the rest of the movie, I was thinking, is she borrowing all of these clothes? Is she buying? Because they've made it very clear. Her dad tells her that she's barely making any money. I'm assuming she's making minimum wage yeah. or just above. So mm. I'm just like, is she continuing to borrow clothes or is she now spending <laughs> her very limited income buying <laughs> very designer expensive clothes. designer clothing? <laughs> like what? I'm pretty sure that she's continuing to borrow with the amount of clothes that you must be receiving and going through as a fashion That's magazine. Just That's constant true. shoots. I imagine they have such a huge surplus that it's not unusual for staff to be able to. That's actually true. Them. That's a good point. Yeah. Because I mean, I, yeah. I have no idea, but it's. I'm at least in the movie logic. I'm willing to accept it. Yeah. And then a few other things I wrote down uh, the first time Miranda sees Andy dressed in her nice clothing. I love Miranda's little attempt to hide her smile of Mm -hmm. just being genuinely impressed by and also kind of finding it funny, (laughs) you know, how she's transformed into Mm -hmm. this, this new wardrobe. Um, Mm -hmm. We forgot to say, are you wearing the the Chanel boots? Yes. Yes, Yes, I am. (laughs) You look good. What? She does. (laughs) She looks good. (laughs) Um, Giselle Bunchen, is that how you pronounce her name? No uh, no clue. Supermodel? No clue. Yeah, she's great in that tiny, tiny role. Uh, I love Stanley Tucci's checkered suit that he wears at some point. I love that checkered suit. It's great. I would wear he, it. He's, he dresses so sh- – I mean, everyone dresses great in this movie, but he dresses so sharp in this Ugh, movie. It's great. So good. And then there's a moment – I don't remember which exact moment this is, but it's it's Andy standing in Miranda's office, and she's getting reprimanded for something – and Emily just kind of stands and she's laughing behind a clipboard. She's got the clipboard oh, yeah. covering her face. I don't remember yeah. what Andy's getting reprimanded for, but. was I definitely saw, I don't know if it's the same one because I don't remember the clipboard, but I had never noticed during the Cerulean speech, every time it cuts to Andy, you can see she's Emily in, in the, the background, background just looking on. Like, Oh clearly... no, that is the scene. That That's, is it? that's okay. the scene. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Clearly enjoying everything that's oh, yeah. happening. Because she well, knows possibly enjoying, right. enjoying, but probably nervous i would imagine i don't know i don't know i think she's enjoying seeing andy put in her place for the ridiculous yeah. wardrobe she's wearing oh my goodness um and it's not that it's it's not even that the clothing is bad it's that it's blatantly disrespectful to everything that they're doing there which you know nigel makes I very mean, clear to her in his speech bad. but it's mm-hmm. like the more offensive thing aside from the clothes being hideous is the fact that it's so evident that she doesn't give a crap about what it is that they're doing mm-hmm. And I just think, I, I do think it's, dis- that is one thing about Andy. Yeah. I do think that's disrespectful and is something yeah. that she does wrong, which is why she learns. And she says, I'm screwing it up. She owns it. She learns. Mm-hmm. She moves on. She does. Yeah. I mean, just to snort in the middle of a meeting. Oh like my that gosh. Is, it's come on. So disrespectful. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. You, you deserve to get called out. For she's that. lucky she wasn't fired for doing that. Yeah. Come on. I mean, she's more mm-hmm. justified. It would make more sense if she was fired for snickering in that meeting than it would for if she didn't get the Harry Potter books back on time. Mm-hmm. I, you know, 
But or her walking into Miranda's office for the first time and not bringing a notebook with her to take. I'm just like, girl, rookie <laughs> mistake. Have you? I mean, she's mistake. fresh out of college. She's never learned. But yeah, that's you true. Learned quick. I just know for me, whenever, whenever I have a conversation with a boss ever, mm-hmm. I like I know I will have a notebook with me Absolutely. because I just have to write down every single thing that you're saying and somehow sit down and translate it into actually mm-hmm. what you mean once I walk out of the room and you stop talking to me <laughs> I love can we appreciate the when she takes her first phone call and she answers the phone as Mrs. Priestley's Mrs. office, Priestley's <laughs> office. <laughs> okay can you spell Gabbana <laughs> they oh, just hang up <laughs> gosh so good oh man but also that first moment when uh, man again just like establishing the stakes of the movie and and where the characters fall and and what their roles are but but Miranda kind of giving Andy that first really, really long list and then Emily coming back and Andy just being completely flustered and then Emily just picking up the phone and saying, I have Patrick. And to Andy, it was this impossible thing of, I don't know who you're talking, I don't know what this is. And then Emily just calmly in five mm-hmm. seconds, Miranda Priestley calling and then I have Patrick. <laughs> I have Patrick. <laughs> and then later you see Andy doing the same yep. thing. You're like, oh, she's learned. She's learned. I love when she's trying to spill everything that she heard at Emily and she's like, um, she needs skirts from, from Calvin, Calvin Klein. Klein. And there was something about, about a pony. pony. <laughs> <laughs> and Emily has this look on her face like, oh no. Oh, I step Lord. away for five seconds. What have you done? Yep. Ugh. Well, but she does say, she's like, I will handle this and you will go to Mm -hmm. Calvin Klein. So Emily is so stinking good at her job. She's so good at her job. That's the thing. She is so good at her job. And yeah, I just knew appreciation for Emily on this watch. She is very rude to Andy. She does not believe in Andy. But when Andy starts demonstrating her worth, she respects her. She does. Yeah. And she, again, she, she doesn't steer her wrong. She gives her genuinely good advice. She gives her good instructions and it's up to Emily to listen or not. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's those are all the notes that, that I wrote down. I'm not sure if there's any other specific points that you want to discuss, but... Um... Not really. Apart from uh, I just thinking um, the, the scene where her dad comes to visit her and they go out to dinner and then they're supposed to go to a show, but then she gets that call from Miranda and Miranda's like... Can't you get me on an air- an airplane out of here? It's just it's just drizzling in the oh, thunder, which is hilarious. But also, I feel like I've had been in that position where like you're trying to do something with a friend or a family member, and someone calls, and you're trying to like run around and like be present with someone, but also you're having a separate conversation on the phone, and it is the worst. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that whole sequence is just absolutely outrageous. <laughs> it's barely <laughs> drizzling. Come on, someone must yeah. be flying out. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, I there's some... Honestly, in that moment, I just... I feel like a lot of time, well, Not a lot of times, but in my experience, sometimes you can get to a point where your bosses just expect, because of where you work and because of just the prestige of where you work, you can make mm-hmm. anything happen. You know, mm-hmm. of just her being like... I'm Miranda Priestley. Of course you can get me home regardless because do you know who I am? And I've been in circumstances where I have been asked to do impossible things. Mm-hmm. And my boss tells me, well, have you not told them what show you work for? Have you not emphasized? I'm like, I have told them what show I work for. They're very aware of who we are and what we do. And like, 
and the pristine. It's a classic, don't you know who I am? Yeah, it's like they're very aware of who we are and our status, but at the same time, they cannot help us and there's nothing mm-hmm. I can do about it. But my my boss, whoever they might be, this has happened multiple times with different bosses, but they're just like, no, 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 you have to tell them that you work for, I'm like, I have made it very clear. There's nothing that they can do. And it's like, well, we're at a stalemate, so I don't know what you, (laughs) I don't know what you want me to do. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I can empathize with that situation. It's like sometimes it's just, there's, there's no other, there's no other card that you can pull out to get what you want. The answer Mm -hmm. is just no. And Mm -hmm. the stress of knowing that you're in a situation where the answer is no, but your boss demands that the answer be Mm -hmm. yes is just hopeless, which is why when she walks in the next day and she's being reprimanded for her, her boss telling her like, wow, you should have gotten it done. And it's just like, I'm just going to stand here and say nothing because what can I say? You you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I understand that you're mad. I I know you're disappointed, but I literally did everything. And I think she says that she's like, I did everything that I thought I could do. And I did everything I could think of. It's not good enough. So yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. And her I dad just, is like, what does she expect you to call the Navy and get her air lifted out of there? And she's like, no, no, no. Wait, can, can I, I do, do that? that? <laughs> I mean, I just, I think ultimately, you know, this movie is great. The characters, the writing, the wardrobe, the costumes, so mm-hmm. many things about it are great. But I think ultimately for me, why this movie is so special to me and why it will continue to be is because I can relate personally to Andy in so in so many ways I feel like if her and I were to sit down we could have some really good trauma bonding conversations (laughs) and she would just she would just get it and I just I watch her on screen and I feel for her every step of the way because I'm like man you're just doing your job and you're just hustling and you're getting no appreciation for it and but you know that you're working hard and kicking ass but how many other people actually mm. see it, you know? The only yeah. difference is that I actually have good friends around me who are not going to like... <laughs> good, non-toxic, hopefully, yeah. friends. Um, We're not going to drag you down. Except for Take Geneva. your $1,900 Marc Jacobs bag and then right. demean your existence. Except for Geneva. Geneva drags me down all the time. She doesn't yeah, support Yeah, I am anything. a very toxic person. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I would describe Geneva. Toxic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's all I got. Yeah, yeah. No, I feel like we're just smoothly segueing straight into, um, I mean, we're kind of skipping over awards. We'll go back to that. But that's sort of what about this movie moves us. Yeah. (laughs) Hearing you describe it that way makes me kind of want to kind of want to show you set it up, which I don't think you've ever seen. Oh, I've seen Um, set it up. Oh, you have seen it? I have. Okay, I, lo- I love that movie. I don't yes, know I know you, you do. Like it, but I love that movie. You love that. And movie, that's one of the things I love about it is yeah. like, it's, you know, it's a rom-com. So it's taking a more, you know, comedic, um, you know, silly look at it. But like, it is very relatable <laughs> for someone in their 20s who's just starting out and has unreasonable bosses. Is <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out yeah. their life will also appease someone who has way too much power. I think um, the I think the proposal scratches that itch for me. Set it up doesn't really doesn't really do it for me. Oh but. yeah, I need to rewatch the proposal because I it's been such a long time since I've seen that. I've never really thought about it in that context. Well, wait, also really? The, That's like the, the actual story, though. Well, because also the proposal, they're like the same age. Like he's her assistant, but they're like the same age. I don't think like so. A, aren't they? I think they're. I, mean, I think they're quite. I don't know. I feel like they're at least ten years apart in that movie. 
Is I feel she, like she's, she's 10 years older. Yeah, I think she's in her like mid mid to late 30s and he's in his mid oh. to late 20s. Okay. But I need to re- rewatch that movie. Yeah. They read the same age to me, but yeah. Sandra Bullock is is ageless. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit just about the um the movie's legacy and its uh awards. So this movie was, it was a big financial hit when it came out. It, it won a lot of praise from critics, uh, particularly for Mer- Meryl Streep's performance. On Metacritic, it is currently rated at 62. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 75% fresh. It was nominated for two Oscars, Best Sporting Actress for Meryl Streep and Best Costume Design for Patricia Field. Should have won both, but it did not. Actually, I meant to look up who won for that year and then I never got I can, around to it. I can look it up while you're talking. Yeah, please do. I'd be very curious. I believe Meryl Streep did win actually the um Golden Globe for uh best supporting actress for that year. Very, very well deserved. Although as I mentioned before, I would also have loved to see Emily Blunt be nominated for best supporting actress that year because I think she's so phenomenal in this movie. And hey, let's throw in Stanley Tucci, best supporting I know, actor. Let's make it a full Stanley Tucci sweep. man. I love him. Oh, so good. Do you have it? Who, who no, won keep, that year? No, keep going. I'll get there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I pulled a couple of critics' quotes. Um, so this one is from a review that came out the year of this movie. So this is from 2006. Um, this is by Dana Stevens in the magazine Slate. Um, and this is not a, this is a mixed review. So she writes, The Devil Wears Prada is a movie that revels in pleasure, the pleasure of fashion, of luxury, of power and ambition. It's also a tremendous pleasure to watch. And who cares if the clothes aren't authentic? They're fabulous. Nonetheless, there's something mealy-mouthed about the way that the movie dangles all the goodies of worldly success before our eyes, then scolds its heroine for wanting to grab a little of that power and pleasure for herself. Hmm. Yeah, so that kind of, yeah, I think that kind of summed up some of the frustrations that i have with the movie is that it's really good at representing certain things but also the way that it shames its heroine um for the the choices that she makes um yeah it can be a little bit frustrating at times um so costume design winner for this year was Mm -hmm. uh melena cananero for marie antoinette which the costumes in that movie are pretty great (gasps) Oh, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, winner. those costumes oh, dang are pretty it. great. Yeah, that's a great one. I would say that's pretty deserving. All right, all um, right. <laughs> and then, shoot, I just had it, but I... Come back to me oh, for supporting actress. I just had it. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on a second, mm-hmm. Geneva. What? No, no. She was... Hold on. She was nominated for Best Actress, not Best Supporting Actress. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, she. That's why I couldn't find it. Yeah, she was nominated for best actress. Oh, that's and, a classic category. Um, and she lost. And in my opinion, looking at this, she actually should have won. Um, mm-hmm. but this year, Helen Mirren won for the Queen. Oh, interesting. Okay, which is a good so performance, but yeah, I, yeah, you know, I think that Meryl's is better in Devil's Prada. But anyway, there you go. I pulled it up as well. I will say Kate Winslet is really, really good in Little Children. But I will yeah, also I would, say Penelope Cruz is great in Volved. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> haven't seen Notes on a Scandal, but Judy Dench is always great. Um, but yeah, okay. All right. Anyway, all right. <laughs> yes. Anyway, <laughs> so I pulled a second quote, um, and. 
This is a retrospective review, so written um, just a few years ago, uh, many years after the movie came out. But this is by Carolyn Sita, who's a critic that I really admire and that I've quoted before. Um, this is in her series, When Romance Met Comedy, where she talks about, um, gives kind of retrospective reviews of different rom-coms and things in adjacent genres. So she writes... The film uses rom-com storytelling tropes to a slightly more subversive end. Previous attempts to adapt Lauren Weisberger's 2003 bestseller, inspiring by the author's brief time working as an assistant for Vogue editor-in-chief Anna Wintour, tried to make it more of a heightened Zoolander-esque satire. Director David Frankel and screenwriter Aileen Brosh McKenna pushed the film in a different direction, making it a funny but also emotionally honest portrait of two women in two very different stages of life. And later she adds, The Devil Wears Prada's biggest success is in proving that the heightened aesthetics of the rom-com genre aren't incongruous with nuanced storytelling and emotional realism. The Devil Wears Prada believes, as do I, that glossy, feminine stylistic choices have no less inherent value than violent, hyper-masculine ones. It just comes down to how well you use them. For shoes, skirts, shirts. Oh. <laughs> Shut up, Nate. <laughs> so anyway, I think that does a pretty good job of... Um, Summing up some of the things that I find really interesting and that I just keep coming back to this movie is that it, it does have this sort of the, you know, the look of a, a fun and feel of a, a fun, glossy um, rom-com, which is a, a genre I truly love. But it also has this core of emotional honesty and these deeper layers of um, discussions about feminism and, and power dynamics and... Um, just all these different things that you don't necessarily expect to see in something of that genre. And yeah, I just, I really appreciate it for it. Even if I criti criticize it in certain aspects, I also really, really love this movie. I love that it exists. I love it for all its flaws. And I would say that this movie, and this is not me insulting rom-coms, but I think that the fact that I like this movie shows that it kind of goes beyond the rom-com uh, mm -hmm. because for me more often than not, I do not enjoy rom-com movies. And so for the fact that I like this one, I think in my opinion shows that like there's more to it than just a rom-com mm -hmm. aspect. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, a good rom-com, I would say any good rom-com is, in some sense, more than just a rom-com, as any movie of any genre is. You know, it it takes the tropes of that genre and then it reinterprets them in a new way and allows you to get at something that's kind of unique. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's what this movie does. And yeah, that's what any movie of a genre that's a really good movie is. It, it finds a way to transcend the the elements that make up make it up. This could potentially be a big tangent, and maybe if we do talk about this, maybe we, sh we should talk about it briefly so we don't go on and on about it. But I mm -hmm. find it interesting how this movie is considered to be a rom-com because it definitely gives off the vibes of a rom-com. Mm. Yeah, but if actually, you really, really think about it, there really isn't romance in this. Even if there is, well, it's no. very minimal to the story. And then I mm -hmm. feel like, it, like, yes, it's funny and there are comedic aspects to it. But to me, I see this as more of a dramedy than a rom-com. Mm -hmm. But at yeah. the same time, this gives off way more so rom-com vibes, which mm -hmm. I just think it's interesting how it f it has that type of feel, even though in my opinion, there isn't really much of a romantic element to it at all. Mm -hmm. but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I agree. This is a great, great little, little side tangent because I agree it's not a rom-com. 
um even though it's it's it seems to be it's very much in that sort of aesthetic um you know has all the aesthetic elements that you expect of a rom-com it has all the the lightness of touch i mean i would it's definitely a chick flick is how i would categorize it yeah really it's a dramedy like you said or maybe a workplace comedy um but it's it's uh it's not strictly a rom-com in the sense that it's not about a relationship right uh, a romantic relationship i should say it is about a relationship but like we said passes the bechdel test with flying Mm -hmm. colors flying colors so i don't know if there's any moments well no i guess it's her with her friend and her friend being like i don't get her but i feel like that's the only conversation that's between women talking about men in this movie so hooray for devil wars prada having a bunch of female protagonists that never really talk about men Mm -hmm. or at least romantically um yeah which um side note um aileen brosh mckenna later went on to i mean she wrote many different rom-coms and chick flicks but she went on to co-create with rachel bloom the show crazy ex-girlfriend which i know tatum is not a show that you are crazy about but (laughs) no pun intended i love that show and i think that show does a really good job of kind of doing something similar to what this does which is taking sort of tropes that are particularly tropes and aesthetic choices that are very associated with um with the feminine and are sometimes looked down upon as kind of being shallow or cartoonish or flat and really giving them a lot of depth and exploring deeper questions and issues in a very layered and nuanced way. Um, I really, really love crazy ex-girlfriend highly recommend it, but um, yeah, I think she's, she's a very talented writer. I don't love everything that she's ever write written that I've seen, but um, I think she, when she's able to, she can she can go to some really interesting places. Yeah. All right. So we've already kind of talked about what about this movie has moved us. Um, so why don't we move straight on to which film we're going to be covering in the next episode? Yeah. So we're going to take a big tonal shift. Oh, boy. Uh, Love are, it when we do that. We are going from The Devil Wears Prada to uh the movie whiplash directed by damien chazelle uh it's it's an incredibly intense film that uh i think i've actually only seen twice um i and i have never seen yeah geneva's never seen it i've been wanting her to see it for years uh that's honestly what this podcast is about for me i'm just like (laughs) i want to make geneva watch movies i've been asking her to watch for forever pulp fiction whiplash like let me right back right back at you (laughs) Um, yeah, she made me watch Western guys. Um, but (laughs) growth, but yeah, so I'm very much so looking forward to hearing your thoughts on whiplash. Um, I think that you will be distraught, but I also think that you will actually, I think you'll really like it. Um, Mm. and if you don't like it, that's fine. I'm open to hearing your thoughts, but, uh, I I think you'll, I think you'll like it. So, um, yeah, Yeah, I'm very excited. It's a, it's a movie that I've been wanting to watch for a very long time. And just for what, what one reason or another, I just not gotten around to it yet. So I'm very excited to finally have an excuse to sit down and watch it. Yeah. I'm excited to watch it again. I think it's probably been about 10 years since I've seen it. So, um, it's been a while, but Wow, yeah. is that how old is that? It came was, it came out when I was in high school, I think. So that would have oh been gosh. over ten years ago. Ugh, I feel uh, so old. Oh nope, it was it came out in twenty fourteen, so nine years ago. Um, okay. But still, wow. 
Wow. Time flies. Mm. <laughs> I it mean, does that, was, indeed. that was the first, like, no one really knew who Damien Chazelle was until that movie came out. And right. now everyone's like, was oh, that, Damien Chazelle. Was that his first uh, feature, like, yeah, you know, so, film to get wide distribution? Yeah. Time? So fun fact, that movie is kind of, I mean, there's lots of directors that have done this that inspire me, but that's kind of the vision of how I would like my career as a director to start so whiplash is actually his first feature but it was based off of a short film that he made in college Mm -hmm. and so he made the short film in college and then someone saw it and was like this is really good do you want to expand the story and he was like yeah I have a whole story here and so he expanded it into a full feature and uh, that's kind of how he got his big break so um, this w- this was his first his first feature that got distribution, um, and it was based off of a short film that I think he made when he was in college. So, screw him for having success at such a young age. <laughs> yeah. But also, I'm happy for you, and this movie's fantastic. So, uh, <laughs> so happy for you. She says through gritted teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so happy for you. Um, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's Whiplash. We'll discuss it next week, cool. and uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Have you you have seen all of Damien Chazelle's filmography, right? Have you seen First Man? I have seen First Man. Yeah, I think okay. I've seen all of his movies. I've I've seen La La Land. I've seen First Man. I've seen Babylon, and I've seen Whiplash. So, and I've I think okay. he did some commercials and music videos that I've also seen. So, <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, um, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great. So excited to have a chance to to talk for two hours or however long it's been about Devil Wears Prada. Oh, yeah. So, all right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like the show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time.